for Tuesday, July 21st, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, in the early days of the pandemic, the coronavirus was much deadlier for members of minority groups under the age of 65 than for white people in the same age cohort. That's according to a recent study from the Atlanta-based Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. More than one-third of Hispanic or Latinos who died were under age 65, compared to only about 16% of whites who died uh, under the age of 65. Dr. Jonathan Wortham, the epidemiologist with the CDC who led the study, joins me to discuss its findings and what it means for public health practice. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. White people under the age of 65 were much less likely to die from the coronavirus than members of minority groups in the same age cohort. Meanwhile, people with pre-existing conditions were much more vulnerable to adverse outcomes if they became infected. Those are just a few findings from a new report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, looking at thousands of COVID-19 deaths in the early days of the pandemic. Dr. Jonathan Wortham is an epidemiologist with the CDC. He led the study and joins me now for more. Dr. Wortham, thanks for talking with me. Oh, so glad to do it. I want to start by talking about what seems to be the main the main finding here, that the coronavirus has been a lot deadlier for people of color under the age of 65 than white people in this period that you were looking at. So dive into that a little bit more for me. Unpack kind of what y'all found and maybe why you think you found it. We found that the proportion of deaths among racial and ethnic minority groups was more than twice the percentage among non-Hispanic whites. More than one-third of Hispanic or Latinos who died were under age 65, compared to only about 16% of whites who died uh, under the age of 65. Um, And even though the median ages in the United States for non-white persons or Hispanic or Latino persons is younger compared to white persons, we don't think that this accounts for all of the difference that we're seeing in those age groups, so the higher proportion of deaths under 65. Um, we think a couple of things could be factors behind these findings. One is it's possible that there's more transmission among communities of Hispanic, Latino, and non-white people in the younger age groups under 65 during the study period as compared to white persons. 
Another possible contributing factor is that there are a higher proportion of Hispanic, Latino, and minority uh, non-white people who work in occupations that have difficulty with social distancing, such as the service industry, professions like fast food workers, maintenance and healthcare support, and some other uh, of the service professions. But unfortunately, we need more information to identify these potential causes for these racial ethnic differences. And we think that identifying these causes will actually help us prevent COVID-19 deaths, as well as reduce uh, racial and ethnic disparities. It feels like the more information that we have come out about who this virus is really affecting the most, it really just seems to, as your report has shown, reinforce this idea that minority groups are kind of disproportionately affected. So were you surprised by what you found here? Yeah, this study was actually set up to look at um, underlying medical conditions and to see what proportion of decedents had underlying medical conditions as well as characterize them by age with the thought that earlier in the pandemic, before the pandemic had come to the United States, um, we wanted to see if those the findings that investigators had found in China would be the same as they found in the United States. However, as we got into this study and found this finding, um, we felt that we had to tell this story. I want to talk a little bit about this kind of main thing you were looking for is the, the prevalence of underlying medical conditions. Unpack a little bit for me, if you could, what you found there, because we, we have seen data so far that certain underlying medical conditions put people more at risk. That's what your study found as well. Exactly. As we expected, the majority of people, almost, th- almost three-fourths, had an underlying medical condition. But when we looked at people under age 65, more than 8 in 10, or 83%, had at least one underlying medical condition. And when we looked at those younger people, the ones under 65, almost half, or almost one in two, had diabetes. Um, and so that was, that was very striking for us. You say that was striking. Was it surprising to you that that was the condition or the prevalence? I mean, what was, what was surprising? You know, I think that we knew that diabetes was a risk factor from some other studies. But I think that the fact that one half of the people had diabetes under age 65, um, that was striking to us because the proportion of people in the United States that have diabetes and are under 65 is about 20%. And so just the fact that the numbers were so high was striking to us. Sure. And I mean, it's it's this is also maybe just another reminder how these kinds of, if we want to think of this as more of a, of a lifestyle disease for, you know, a vast number of people that affects a large number of people, this, this means a lot of people are potentially at risk of having really adverse complications from a coronavirus infection. Precisely. And we're hoping that studies like this will help us identify people and help us target sort of health communications so that people are empowered to protect themselves and know their own risk factors so that they can uh, make the best decisions for themselves. Another thing uh, that really jumped out to me is this finding that about 7%, if not a little bit more, of the people in your study who actually died, died at home or in an emergency department setting. Unpack that a little bit for me, because that, that really jumped out to me as a really surprising finding. Yes. So exactly as you said, uh, among people under 65, almost 8% or somewhere around 1 in 12 died either at home or in the emergency department. And it's possible that that represents people who were either too sick to go to the hospital or by the time they presented to the hospital, they were too sick to be moved to a regular hospital bed. 
you know, we think that it could suggest that people either had no access to health care or might have delayed seeking care even though they had symptoms. And so we think that more study would be helpful to understand why this group didn't get care earlier in their illnesses and if there's any other interventions that could be done to help prompt um, earlier presentations to medical care. I'm thinking if there's kind of like a cross current maybe with this main finding of for people under 65 who are, you know, from minority groups, more likely to die. Those are also groups that we maybe think have less access to resources, less ac- less access to healthcare. I mean, is there some kind of connection between those two, do you think? It's possible, but, you know, again, we weren't able to in in this particular study assess whether these particular patients had access to health care and if that was the reason behind some of the other findings that we had in the study. For example, the younger median age of death among Hispanic, Latino, and other non-white people. Um, but we think that that's a key um, finding to be able to both explain why we're seeing what we're seeing, as well as to think about what potential solutions are um, so that we don't have these deaths um, due to COVID-19 in, in, in our society. Are there other conditions for which people don't seek health care until they're to this point where they are severely ill? I'm just wondering about this kind of finding that 7% of these deaths were at home or in emergency department settings. Is that something that we would see for other health conditions? Yes, there are differences in care-seeking for other conditions. And it's definitely an area that needs a lot more study. Thinking about how to examine the roles of uh, lots of different things in our society, for example, the way the, the roles that culture might play, um, the roles that access to medical care in terms of how far is it to your doctor or healthcare facility or medical provider, issues related to payment and whether people have access to health care, health insurance and other things. And we think that those are some of the issues that could help us understand how to improve outcomes for from infectious and non-infectious diseases other than COVID-19. And so we think that, yeah, those kind of things definitely need need more study. Lay out for me just as kind of simply as, as you can what the process was uh, that y'all used for this study. Talk, talk to me about your, your methods. So early on in the study, we we were receiving data about demographic data, such as ages of patients, race, ethnicity data, as well as some data on courses of illness. But we wanted to better understand race, ethnicity, and get more complete data on race, ethnicity. We wanted to understand where patients died. And so we essentially sent a letter to 56 um, state health departments, some local health departments, as well as some territories asking them to provide information about all of these kinds of issues of pe- about people who died who had a positive lab test for COVID-19. And 16 of those responded to us, and they provided information about more than 10,500 confirmed deaths. So about one-fifth of the deaths that had been reported um, to CDC during that same time period. So we um, combined that data into a database and analyzed it and looked for the for the trends that we saw. It seems like that's maybe one limitation of the study here is that, you know, this is maybe not as large a sample size as you could have had. What do you think kind of the really important limitations are for people to keep in mind with this study? 
Absolutely. So one of the one of the limitations is this is what um, we in the medical professions would call a convenience sample. And what that means is that we asked some health departments to participate and the ones that um, were able to participate given their other demands were able to participate. And so given that, we don't know what the other deaths look like. And so it's quite possible that these 10,500 people are quite different than the other people that we know who died with COVID-19, but were not reported to our study. Um, and so we have to be very cautious about applying these findings and saying that, that they represent all deaths in the United States. That being said, this is a very large set of deaths. And so these findings definitely deserve more study to understand whether or not they are uh, more generalizable, uh, meaning that they happen in the, in the larger population outside of the 16 jurisdictions um, that provided us information. I want to talk, too, about the time period that you looked at here. So this is looking at deaths reported from the 12th of February until the 18th of May. We think of this as maybe very early on in this pandemic. Does that particular time period affect what you found here? I'm just thinking that there you know, are certain populations in this country, maybe people who are older, who are going to maybe be the, the first people affected by something like the coronavirus. Am I right to think that? And maybe talk to me a little bit about what effect you think the time period had on what you found. Absolutely. I think that you're, you're absolutely correct. I think one other finding that I'd like to point out is 93% or more than 9 in 10 deaths captured by this study come from New York City, New Jersey, and Washington State. And the demographics of those three areas are going to be represented in our study. But as the pandemic has spread to other areas that have different demographics, the findings might be different. One of the other limitations is therapeutics, such as remdesivir, that have uh, been made available since this analysis. And so this analysis won't affect the effect of um, different therapeutics um, that have been introduced, like remdesivir, on deaths in, associated with COVID-19. If we kind of step back and look at the kind of big, bold findings here, what are the implications for public health practitioners, for the medical field, for everyday people? What do you think people should, should, should really take away from this report? Sure. I think there's a few things that should be taken away. First is that even though most of the deaths occurred among older people and people with underlying medical conditions, almost one in four deaths did occur among young people, people under the age of 65. And so I think that people should understand that just because you're under 65 doesn't mean that there's no risk and that you should continue to protect yourself by physical distancing, particularly if you have underlying medical conditions. I think another thing is, you know, we did see those deaths at home or in the emergency department. And so I think that that can encourage people, if they do have symptoms and they do think that they have COVID-19, to try to present to medical care early where you can get curative um, therapy and you can get effective treatment. It also encourages our medical profession to take a look at people and to consider particularly younger people with underlying medical conditions about whether they could develop severe disease related to COVID-19 and think about how we're managing those people in the hospital and the healthcare setting to make sure that we give them the best chance that they can to survive COVID-19. The thing that I guess really struck me from reading through this is, you know, you've mentioned this sample size of 10,500 or so people, 
these are all individuals who have died from this disease. And, and certainly you're looking at a large body of data. You have a lot of numbers. But behind each one of those numbers is a person. I'm wondering how you have kind of thought about that as you've uh, done this work. This work at times was really challenging for me. It made me really sad. Both of my parents are over age 65. And I think that thinking about looking at the different rows in, in our data set, thinking about each one of those rows represented somebody's loved one. And so even if they were over 65, that person was important to somebody. That was somebody who was going to teach their grandkid how to fish. Or, you know, that was somebody's friend, fishing buddy, taught their kid how to ride a bike, told them about the history of who their family was and who and how they should how they should be. That was really, really difficult um, to sort of be in these data every single day, wanting to look at these trends, but also thinking each of these 10,500 people were people and they were they're gone due to this um, devastating disease. And they have a family that's that's grieving their loss. Um, and this was a very short period for this many deaths from one single condition. That was very sad um, for me. And it motivates me and I think everybody at the agency um, to work really, really hard to sort of figure out what we can do so that ideally no other family has to experience these unexpected losses from this pandemic. Um, this is the kind of thing we were trained to do. And, you know, we're trained to be scientists and we're trained to sit and look at the data. But there were times that doing this made me very sad because I, w I thought of those stories. But one of the reasons that, you know, I want to uh, we wanted to publish this is we wanted to, um, if there's any way that we can provide information to inform efforts to prevent any deaths and any family from losing their loved one, we want to do that. Dr. Jonathan Wortham is an epidemiologist with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.